how are we ever going to advance if we're unable to say, I don't know? Like if we've convinced ourselves that we have all the answers, what motivation do we have to go learn, to learn more? Um, but ultimately, I just think that the pressure is is too much for most people to have. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. We are back. We are back. <clears throat> so I have a half marathon coming up in a week and a half, and I feel totally behind. Behind in in your training and preparation? Training, yeah. 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 Like I was feeling good, and then like I was pushing it hard, and I tweaked my ankle. Ooh, and like it was just yeah. sore, so I was trying to stretch that out. That kind of set me back a little bit. And then we had a stretch of bad weather. And then went away for a long weekend. And like, I just kind of came back from that. And I'm just like, I feel suddenly behind. I was feeling good for a while. So it, I, I think it's, it, it's going to be a little bit of a bit of a challenge. Yeah. Week. It's amazing how some of those minor, seemingly minor setbacks in training waterfall into much bigger setbacks sometimes. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I, I tried to up probably too soon and my, my friend who's a sports therapist said you're you're too old to be able to you're too old to think that you can exercise and not post stretch uh which i was not post stretching uh and i upped my intensity of my cycling um and my it band on my right knee just swole up and locked up and then like I couldn't ride and that affected just general mobility, which affected like mental health. And I was like one little, one little tendon, you know, yeah. gave me a problem and it just waterfalled. So yeah, trying, it's, it's this massive cascade effect. Yeah. So trying to keep, uh, the, the, uh, escalation of intensity in a more appropriate manner and post ride stretching and foam rolling. So that foam roller love hate relationship with that thing yes do you foam I, roll? I've used every now and then I, yeah. I'm try, it, and i i'm too trying to get better at post post workout stretching um so and i think that's really why i tweaked my ankle like i was trying to go out for for long long distances and then getting back and just jumping right into work instead of taking an extra 20 minutes. And, and I found for me, it hasn't even, it isn't even that and now, now running, especially on pavement and uneven surfaces, I think is a lot tougher on your lower joints than cycling is. But I've noticed like five, 10 minutes of stretching and rolling after is, I mean, that's all it's taking to like keep the soreness down, like less stiffness, able to get back on the bike super easy the next day. So like even a little bit seems to have huge impact. Yeah. And and for me, it's like my hamstrings. The minute my hamstrings starting to tighten up, then it starts to pull on the knees, which then yeah. ultimately pull on the ankles, but then it also pulls yeah. on the back. The back. I feel, I feel it in my back. Yeah. And like even like 
it's that groan when you stand up and I'm like, yeah, like the minute I start to like groan standing <laughs> up, I'm like, I haven't been stretching enough. Uh, I hear you. Well, I think you'll, you'll, the, you're, you don't, you don't run these things to compete with anyone but yourself. So I think you'll, yeah, you'll it's have just a for good, fun. a good enjoyable time. Are, where, where are you running this time? It's at the shore again. It's okay. the same one as the one that the, goes down the boardwalk year. and yep. Okay. Yeah, it goes over one of the bridges and then back over the bridge and, it's fun. Like I, I did it for fun, but then me being the completionist that I am and the perfectionist, they started a series last year where last year, this year, next year, and the year following all the medals combined into one giant thing. So of course I got the first one. Uh, so of course I have to get the next one. Yeah. You have to have the whole series. I have to. <laughs> it's incomplete without the whole set. It is. Well, hopefully you're staying hydrated. And I'm hydrating today with Liquid Death. If you want to sponsor yeah. our podcast, Liquid Death, reach out and to I've Jim. got Kirkland brand sparkling water. <laughs> Costco, if you want to sponsor our podcast, reach out to Jim. Yeah. Well, have you ever gotten to the point where you've gotten so dehydrated, you basically start sweating salt? Yeah. And it's it's crazy because... I think we're, man, this is turning into like a exercise and nutritionist podcast. Well, I, um, I have it going somewhere with our actual okay. topic. Um, it, I, I think, I think as a nation, we are chronically in a state of dehydration yes. and we don't even realize it. Um, and days where I try to drink 80 to 90 ounces of water, I instantly feel completely different. I'm like, I think I've been dehydrated for like three weeks, like, mm -hmm. and not really even realized it. It's crazy. Um, so it was two weeks ago when I was at the the Notre Dame football game. It was just a clear, sunny day. And I mean, it was a warm day, warm fall day, but still sunny. And just I didn't drink enough water in the morning. And then we tailgated, of course, being outside in the sun there and then going in, sitting, sitting in the sun. You're just dripping with sweat and next thing you know like my back my back of my neck is getting itchy so i start rubbing it like this and it's just like this gritty feeling i look at my hand i'm like mm. i'm de i'm seriously dehydrated at this point like yeah. it's because that your body just at this point like it's still trying to sweat whatever it has whatever yeah. it has left so i um went out to the concourse and there was like a, a little kiosk there with um not powery not gatorade it's it's one of the competitors uh body armor they mm. had those i grabbed two chugged one immediately just because i mean at this point too i was just genuinely thirsty and then when i did yeah. that, like, i need something to drink and yeah. then I, I chugged one and that felt so good and then i had another one just to kind of sip on for a little bit stay hydrated people even if you're sitting at a desk uh analyzing data all day long it's, and I mean, uh, these are the, the, the things that like you, like you, you mentioned earlier that you get away with when you're younger. Yeah. You're yeah. absolutely able to get away with not stretching as, as much when you're in your teens and your twenties, you're just naturally that way. Um, just like post-workout recovery. And but as you get older, like you need, like someone needs to remind you at times, like you need to maintain your body through stretching, hydration, all of these things. And yeah. they're not fun. Like I said, like where I know, I know where I hurt my ankle. It was just a stretch of days. I was trying to do six, seven miles in the morning before work and then getting home. And instead of taking the extra 20 minutes to really stretch it out, yeah. just jump right into it. And, you know, you should have listened to like advice from others, like make sure you stretch. Yeah. So you're probably yeah. wondering how I'm going to turn that into <laughs> now, a How does this today. relate to analytics and services and what yeah. we do? 
So I want to continue our topic around consulting. And by, and by the way, like you didn't give me any heads up or lead in that just you, you, you are such a good uh, host that you naturally led the conversation down. A path. I had no idea you were leading me. Down. I don't know. Like I just started talking. And I'm like, Oh, this does give me an intro. I don't know. It was just kind okay. of on the fly, but thank you. I appreciate it. Like I didn't plan that intro. It just, it kind of came together. I'm like, I do have a way of bringing this into our topic. So, but thank you. Um, so I want to continue our topic on um, our series on consulting. Mm -hmm. And today I want to focus on one of the reasons why um, companies bring in a consultant, but it feels like they ultimately ignore it. So last week when we were talking about um, the art of consulting, you covered why the multiple reasons why an organization brings in an outside consultant, whether it's an individual, an entire team from a firm, whatever. Um, one of them is, is like the outside objectivity and mm -hmm. uh, authority that they, they come in with the ability to look at your organization, assess it and provide outside perspective and feedback on where, where help is needed. Um, so with that, I want to talk about direct and uncomfortable feedback because that is mm -hmm. ultimately a component of that role of a consultant. Yeah. You're going to tell someone, you're going to tell a client, a stakeholder, things that they don't want to hear. Um, but it feels that sometimes like they, they don't want to hear it. Like they, they, they bring you in for that purpose as a consultant to provide that. But then when you provide it, a lot of times it feels like it, it's rejected or it's explained away or it's the, well, let's talk a bit more about it. Um, or, or am I missing something or, or am I maybe blowing something up that doesn't exist? No, I mean, it absolutely exists. And I think it's just, it's, it's a human nature thing that exists that is then applied to, to how we work. Um, and, 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 and to be fair, this happens between manager and employee as well. Um, and, and while it, it, it may be a different context and different challenges between you know, a third party consultant and, and a business, really the challenges are all the same. And, and I would, and I would, I guess, ask you the question back, think about your closest friends in general, w would they hold back in telling you what, or would they hold back in telling you when you were out of line or would they say, Jim, you're acting like a jerk right now. No, I've had that at times. It's like the just knock it off or what we're yeah. all about. I've gotten at it from time to time. I, I think my my closest friends have no fear in telling me, Jason, you're being an egotistical jerk or why did you do that? Like you're acting like an idiot. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, and the difference is, is that you've, you've developed this relationship of mutual trust and benefit and you've kind of earned not only earned the right it's it's expected in those relationships that we're not here to just like flirt with each other and blow smoke each, up at each other's ass to like make ourselves feel better that's not how real relationships work real relationships are about difficult conversations good conversations and everything in between and and when you're in a trusted relationship that has a mutual exchange of value those conversations are, again, not only easier to have, they're often expected to have because I expect you to keep me in line. I expect you to make me help make me a better person. Oftentimes, we, we don't have that level of, and I, when I say we, I'm talking in the broader kind of consulting 
uh, client uh, world. I, I think we have worked incredibly hard to make this different for how we operate. But in general, um, consultants, consulting firms, agencies, individual contractors, moonlighters, and a client typically don't enjoy that level of relationship in that it's often seen as um, a superior to a, what's the right word? Um, less than superior. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, 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 I'm hiring you, you're, you're under my control and you're not on the same level as me. So we don't have this mutual express uh, level of respect, mutual exchange of value. Um, and so in those situations, it's incredibly difficult to have very meaningful, sometimes difficult, but needed conversations. Um, again, you know, I don't want to talk a lot about what we do on this topic, but it is a pertinent topic in that we've worked incredibly diligently for the last, oh my gosh, we're going on 10 years now to um, attract and work with companies that have a mutual level of respect for what we do. In fact, was it John yesterday on our company call that said something like, I just have to call out how like amazing it is to work with the clients we have. It's not like that everywhere else. Like just the mutual respect and that we're in this together and we're, we're peers and equals is, is something you don't see a lot. Um, and because of that, it's afforded us again, not only the opportunity, our clients expect us to go back and say, guys, what you're doing is completely wrong. And if you continue down this path, you're going to like screw everything up. Your team's going to quit and you're going to get fired. <laughs> and most, again, most agencies, consultants, moonlighters, don't have that level of trust to be able to have that conversation because what are they doing? We're just trying to keep the client quote happy so we get our next paycheck. So we'll tell them whatever they need to hear as long as they keep paying us. I'll, I'll shut up for a minute. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Take, take a swig of that liquid death. Again, <sighs> sponsorships are available. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, you bring up a, a couple good points there. Um, with, I think it goes into expectations set out from the very beginning. What is the role of the engagement? What is, what is the purpose? And is, 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 are you being brought in for optics or are you actually brought being brought in as a consultant to provide that level of feedback? Yeah. And are, not only are you brought in for, for optics, but are you brought in to do a task under someone else's direction or are you brought in as a true expert? And yeah, like we talked about last week, the contractor versus the consultant. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that was one of the most important takeaways from from last week's episode was making sure that those expectations are properly set from all parties involved. Um, and, and, and too often from a services agency perspective, we don't set the expectation because we want to be all things to all people so we can get more money. But it's it's a recipe for creating very, very negative experiences from a client perspective. Oftentimes the clients just are they feel like they have a need, but they're unaware of what need they're trying to fill. And so they hire a consultant and in their mind, it, they were thinking, well, we're hiring a part time employee. They're not acting like a part time employee. Now we hate each other. So it is it is so, so critical um, up front to know as a as a client hiring an agency what type of role am I expecting them to fill? And as an agency to be incredibly clear on the role you fill and don't try to be all things to all people. Um, again, that has never worked. Now that may work 
to make the agency owner a lot of money, but I, but I guarantee you that it makes the, the consultants they're miserable and it creates really, really negative client experiences. So if we're truly interested in making all of those parties happy, we need to be incredibly clear on expectations around role. Um, mm-hmm. and, and how that influences how we interact and the type of language and feedback and conversations that we're, we're having mutually back and forth. Now, when it comes to direct feedback, the, the uncomfortable conversations, what roles do self-awareness and vulnerability play from both the consultant and the client? I, I mean, I think it's, it's huge. I think understanding vulnerability, but also understanding threats um, it, it's been something that we've talked a lot about in, internally that oftentimes as a consultant, we could come off feeling like we're a threat. And so we need to have an understanding of that. Um, as, as, a, as a client, we need to be in a position of, of being vulnerable, which is, is very, very difficult uh, in the corporate world. You know, if you think about the standard practice of the corporate world, um, it's, it's every, every employee for themselves we're not really on the same team. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's thousands of teams of one in that everybody in the organization is a threat to my success. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's difficult for a client to say, I don't know, I'm not good at this. I want to be better at this, but I just, I'm not at that level of skill. Now, for them personally and for the companies, being able to be in that position of vulnerability creates massive, massive upside and value, both to the individual and to the company. But I absolutely empathize and understand the stress that that would put an employee under hiring a consultant to have to admit, I'm not an expert on this because now all of a sudden, maybe I have a target on my back. You know, maybe my boss isn't going to give me a raise because they thought I was smarter than I was. And that's really, really unfortunate because none of us are beyond the need of guidance and help. And, you know, we've, we've talked about this a lot and we've talked about this, especially kind of as we're reimagining our company and the type of work we do, um, wanting to work with more and more elite companies and the feedback people would say is, well, why does someone that's doing everything right have it, has it all figured out and need you as a consultant? I'm like, well, why did, you know, Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods at their prime need a swing coach, a shooting coach, a, you know, because there, there is no, there is no limit to 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 excellence to to being elite and the people at the very very top know that and are willing and and able to be and i think at that point they're probably not even uncomfortable they were probably more uncomfortable saying i have it all figured out um but for uh, for most employees i absolutely understand how incredibly difficult it could be to say i don't know i'm not an expert and as consultants and agencies we need to be empathetic to that but we also need to help them overcome that because if they can't, our ability to influence their direction, their career, their performance, and therefore the company they work for's performance is incredibly, incredibly limited. You know, I know our listeners love uh, our, our sports analogies. Yeah, and it, sure. <laughs> if you think it's bad, the number of times we bring it up in the podcast, you should hear our, our one-on-one conversations. We're always talking in that. But you bring up a good point because I was so going well. to ask, like, you know, why vulnerability is seen as such a weakness, but yet there's so many obvious examples of those that people consider to be elite had someone there instructing them on on what to do. You know, like um, the, the, in golf, you know, like for the pros, 
those caddies like are just as key to the win as the golfer itself. Like my dad always used to tell me like pro caddies are the ones that know the game inside and out. They just have like, they just didn't have it say physically. Maybe they didn't have the best swing, but they know the layout of a course. They know who's the best swing coach. They, they, they know all of these details. They're your guide as you're walking down the course. Like, Hey, I've been watching you today. We're, you know, 200 yards from the pin, the wind's coming in this direction. Use this, not that. Use this club versus versus that club to get you as close as you can. Um, like they were, like they, these were people that knew the game just as good as pros. They were just, just so close to making it. And they actually, in some cases, made made better coaches than than, than whatnot. So yeah, it, it is. It's an interesting dichotomy that in the business world, saying I'm not sure. I don't know. Maybe we should get some get, get another opinion here. Is seen as weakness. Yet in sports, the most elite are the ones that go out and seek the best coaches. And it transcends sports, and that's why it's so amazing to me that in the business world we're so reluctant to accept this. And and I'm not just saying this because we're building and running a, a company that sells these levels of services. I would be saying this regardless of what product we sold or service we sold. Um, so, so a couple more examples, I, I'm big into food. Um, I'm big into studying elite chefs and by and large, every single one of those has a group of mentors that they go to, to figure out how to elevate your game, their game, right? They don't feel like they've reached their pinnacle and it's like, I'm beyond feedback and help. And they, they all have mentors helping them. Dude, last night I was listening to a podcast with, uh, Magnus Carlson uh, his coach. So Magnus Carlson, um, the world champion in chess, uh, has been for the last decade plus undisputed. No one is even close to him. Um, probably no doubt one of the greatest, if not the greatest chess players of all time. And I'm listening to a podcast with Magnus Carlson's coach. What? <laughs> like literally the most brilliant chess player of our time. And I'm listening to a podcast with his coach. So, you know, if Magnus Carlson seeks a coach if michael jordan seeks a coach you know if jiro or your favorite chef seeks a mentor and a coach why is it why isn't that we in positions of of business as a business analyst a manager of a team a cio a marketing vice president why is it so unnatural for us in those roles to seek a coach it seems like in every other industry and walk of life not only is it accepted, but the most elite are actively working with coaches in business. Why aren't we? It's weird yeah. to me. It's weird to me. But I get it. I I, I get how businesses work as, as these teams of one and feeling like if I have to say I'm using a coach that, you know, I'm clearly not as qualified as my cube mate who doesn't have a coach and it's going to get promoted over me and get more money and get more stock options and on and on and on. Yeah. Uh, to extend that analogy just a little bit and then make another point. Um, if you also continue to look at sports, those athletes that do think they have it all together and don't need a coach, they don't need someone there providing um, additional perspective on what they're doing or not doing. Those are the ones that quickly flame out. They, they survive early in their career just on pure talent. But yeah. when pure talent no longer works they they quickly they, they they quickly die off 
And I think if you listen to whether it's in sports or other walks of life, the people that have really risen to elite levels of their craft, a lot of them have said, I was lucky enough not to be blessed with natural talent. <laughs> and because of that, it forced me to have the right the right support system and work ethic to to reach the top. And yeah, unfortunately, so many prodigies or people that are built with just raw talent, they're able to get so far. And some of them do reach elite levels, but a lot of them never really get to the point of executing at their max capabilities because they've rested on just this natural ability and rejected these frameworks and support systems that everyone else in the world, the 99.99% of everyone else in the world has to rely on in order to become, to become elite. And mm -hmm. I thought, you know, I think that's interesting that so many elite caliber people have said that same thing. I was lucky enough to be not be born with natural talent. So I had to really, really work hard to make this happen. Yeah. Um, so if you then look at the business world, the kind of your point, like we're, we're asking the rhetorical question, why? Because neither of us have the answer. I think we can, we have perspectives on it. We have some ideas around it, but is, do we have the full answer and solution? No. But like why in the business world is saying, I don't know, a sign of weakness and people are afraid to do it. Uh, are you afraid to say it? The one thing that comes to mind immediately is, is a, um, perspective of like it's it's a zero-sum game mm -hmm. yeah. if i say no i don't know but if someone else does and they say yeah i do know it and they're right they're going to get the raise they're going to get the bonus they're going to get the promotion they're going to get the praise so shit i have <laughs> to say i know it so it when it comes down to that and i mean come on let, let's face it businesses do feed this kind of nature when it comes to performance reviews, we all know the performance yeah. reviews. Performance reviews are done on a bell curve. You've got yeah. your, your 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 low performers here. You have your high performers here. Everyone fits in. So if you've got a team of 20, you got to figure out how everyone fits in that bell curve. Yeah, and it's 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 unfortunate and it affects so many things in the culture of organizations. And you know, we're talking about being vulnerable to admit what what you 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 may not know or you may not be an expert in but literally you're 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 exactly right and it affects everything it's the reason why so many people don't take vacations well if i take a vacation then i'm saying that i'm not a robot and someone else that doesn't take a vacation is going to work harder for than me so they're going to get the raise and the promotion and it just affects everything and as we were talking about in the beginning with a you know a slight tweak of the ankle and now all of a sudden becomes a hamstring problem a low back problem now i've got a headache because my neck's all out of alignment it it cascades um and it's it's just critically important that 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 we address it uh, and not even at the at the business level, at the individual level, how are we ever going to advance if we're unable to say, I don't know? Like if we've convinced ourselves that we have all the answers, what motivation do we have to go learn to learn more? Um, but ultimately, I just think that the pressure is is too much for most people to handle. I have a I have a friend that um, had talked himself into some high level management positions based on saying that he knew and had experience in things he never did. Um, and yeah, we were talking about it one night. He's like, dude, I'm so stressed out. I can't even sleep at night. Like I'm, I, I'm miserable. Like I get up sick to my stomach in the morning. I'm like, yeah, but you're making all this money as an executive. He's like, dude, it's not worth it. <laughs> like the stress of having to uphold this, like, 
this 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 lie this myth that i i spun is just too much um but to your point it's it's what gets rewarded but we have to be really careful on what we look at as a reward if all we're measuring is our title and our level of compensation we're not taking into account our mental health and well-being and how this affects our home life and our social life there's so many variables to to think about and ultimately we need to look at it as what our personal goals and aspirations are and and truly like the title and kind of the recognition ultimately that thing fades away so quickly the minute you quit for most people that's gone it's into dust um our our dedication to becoming smarter more knowledgeable really becoming masters of our crafts those are things that sustain and um there's no better way of 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 being motivated to learn than to say, I don't know, but I want to go figure this out. I want to invest in this. I need, I want to coach. I need someone from the outside that has that expertise to help um, make this path a little quicker. I mean, that's, that's the way yet to your point. And I think you're absolutely right. It's this unfortunate, unhealthy belief that business is a zero sum game that keeps the vast majority of employees from being able to have that conversation. Thus, they're in a constant state of being stuck. And they may get their raises and their bonuses and their title changes, but their life is miserable. And to me, and I think to most people, if they are, again, vulnerable enough to admit it, would say, this sucks. I do not want to live like this. Yeah. And and I, I think ultimately vulnerability is the, the key. You know, being mm-hmm. vulnerable as an organization to say we don't know everything, we're at risk of, you know, a competitor coming in and disrupting things. You know, being vulnerable as as an individual to say I don't know everything and I could use some help in in learning more. And this is easier said than done. But at the individual level, if you find yourself in an organization that doesn't support that, then you're probably not in the right organization. Um, but organizationally. Yeah, I mean, it's, again, I, I am dumbfounded at times that organizations say, yeah, we need help. They feign this vulnerability of, like, we don't know everything. We need some some guidance. They bring somebody in, and the minute they start touching a nerve in su- cer- certain areas, they they back off. And they're mm-hmm. like, no, 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 like, you're missing something. Or you, you don't have the full context or, or whatever. Um it's it's definitely perplexing but let me ask you this have you ever been involved in an engagement where you gave that kind of feedback and not only was it like dismissed or tried to be written off did someone try to hide it (laughs) yes short answer is is yes and i think earlier in my career having those conversations i was very very i guess personally attacked by that decision but now in the position and the experience I have, I can, I can understand the why. And maybe if I had the ability to transport myself back, I could have delivered that message in a different way and helped my counterpart on the client side better ingest that information and build a plan to attack it in a, in a healthier way. But yeah, absolutely. I think there's been, been multiple times where, you know, I was able to see a clear problem, give them a map to avoid it, and they purposefully discarded my advice and fell right into the hole. Um, but again, looking back on it, um, I could see 
how it would have been very scary for them to say, oh, man, we made a mistake. I was personally responsible for making that mistake. And now we have to fix it because, again, most organizations, if I'm saying, hey, I messed up, I made this mistake, you know, not only am I potentially hurting my future advances, maybe I'm hurting my chances to be employed. Like, maybe I'm going to get fired. Um, and it's unfortunate because none of us are perfect. I mean, we've all we've all made mistakes. Um, and I think the great thing is, especially when you're working with the right people in the right organizations, is when you get to that level of being comfortable admitting what you don't know, admitting when you did something that didn't work out correctly, when you did something that really screwed something up, it actually strengthens relationships, you know, because it builds trust. It's like, okay, like I can trust Jim, you know, he's not just bullshitting me. Like he's going to tell me the truth and I'm going to value that. And that's to me is way more meaningful than someone that's just going to come in and tell me what I want to hear because they want that raise. They want the bonus. They want their contract renewed, you know, fill in the blank. Yep. And, and kind of go back to what we were talking about, like with like lying and trying to hide and, you know, you eventually get found out. Yeah. Like with the, the things catch up with you. And, and I was just thinking about like, so one of my guilty pleasures is reading, listening to the stories of the paranormal, mm -hmm. like hauntings, things like that and, and everything. And, you know, I've heard stories from people that have like, or, or claim to have, I'll put that disclaimer out, like ESP and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And they say like, when it comes to those kinds of instincts with people that when you try to hide something, you like send out like some kind of energy that like actually makes it want to be found. It, it, it's hard to describe, but it's almost like when you try to hide something, when you try to cover something up, you're putting a much brighter beacon on it than if you just fell on your sword and admitted it. Did you see Unbreakable? No, I did not see that. Oh, okay. You should see that. Okay. I'm not going to give any of it away then. There, okay. I mean, one of the, one of the uh, one of the characters in that film has that ability uh, to see things, see dark things that people have that they try to hide in in real clear terms. Okay, it's a cool show, by the way. Okay, I, I'll I'll watch it then. But yeah, like, yeah. and it was so, like, yeah, yeah. Hearing an interview with a person like that, and they were talking about it. It, it for me, it kind of made sense because, like, have you ever heard of the Streisand effect? Mm, sounds familiar, but I, I I don't know what it means. Okay, um, what it was is there was some kind of land surveying going on on like the coast of California, and one of the photographs was of Barbara Streisand's mansion, like oceanfront, waterfront property, and she didn't want it to get out. Mm. And the minute she like filed a suit to have that like stricken from whatever the survey is, you know, because it was a survey, it was part of public records, yeah. kind of getting it, you know, covered up. It brought attention. To yeah. Yeah. Where, now more people know about it. Like people talked about like this particular image had like tens of views mm -hmm. before the lawsuit, the minute the lawsuit came, millions of people were seeing it. Yeah. So if you just kind of, you know, not bring attention to it, well, the, that's the thing is, is when you, are brought this kind of feedback and you try to hide it, you try to cover it up, you try to dismiss it, you actually sign a brighter light on it mm. than just accepting it and dealing with it. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely can see that. I remember, And it sounds very similar to one, one client that we worked with that had a very smart and very eager implementation engineer uh, employee that was responsible for all, all their MarTech implementation. And um, he very much suffered, probably more than anyone that I've ever had the opportunity to work with, from this desire to hide his lack of knowledge of things. But from anyone from the outside, it was very clear, like no track record of ever doing this stuff, no formal education, no informal education on any of these topics, no work history. Um, and, and obviously the work output um, solidified that story. But instead of being open to it and having an opportunity to use the expertise around him to get better at his craft, um, he chose to, to try to hide it. Um, and you're, you're right. It basically created this huge beacon saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. And it became even more unbearable for him to be in that situation. And sadly for him, ultimately he left the company, he quit. And, and, and I'm without a doubt, it was because of that. Um, the, the pressure became too much and that beacon, that light that he was shining on it, not wanting to shine on it, but to your point, trying to hide it, creating this light shining on it was too much for him to bear. And he simply quit. Uh, which again is unfortunate because I think he had the opportunity to to really um, advance in his career and and really hone his craft, but he wasn't willing to to be vulnerable enough to to admit that. Um, and, and again, like we could go through all sorts of these stories, but I think what is clear, the common theme here is that in thinking that we're protecting ourselves, our jobs, our our compensation, by 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 not admitting the things we don't know by by trying to pretend that we're experts in everything we're actually doing the opposite of what we think we're doing we think we're protecting ourselves we think we're playing defensively but actually we're inviting an attack we're shining a spotlight on our deficiencies and ultimately that leads to what we fear the most we don't get the raise we don't get the promotion we get fired we we get forced out we quit because it's too much to bear and that's the opposite of what we were trying to do um so that that probably is the key takeaway from from this discussion, um, and and we're, we're all guilty of it. Um, one of the stories that I love to tell, um, Hallmark. At one point in time, in our you know maybe first three four years of doing business, quickly became our largest client, and it wasn't by a few pennies. They were our largest client by far, and. Um, as the relationship progressed, there were some things and conversations that we really needed to have to help get them both as individuals at Hallmark and the company where we thought that they could be, but we held back. We had lots of discussions and passionate talks internally about, we need to say this and do this and do that. And we didn't. When it came down to it, we told them what they wanted to hear because we were scared, right? Like we need to protect this client because they are our biggest client. We need to protect the revenue stream. We need to play defense. We need to make sure we're, we're protecting that with all our might. What ended up happening? We ended up losing the client. We ended up losing them because we didn't get them to where they needed to be in the end because we were unwilling to have those hard conversations thinking we were protecting the revenue and we ended up losing it. So it's happened far too many times to just be uh, an outlier. Yeah. It, it becomes to, a self-fulfilling prophecy. It does. It does. Absolutely does. And it's hard to get over that hump. But again, the, these are just our examples. Just go look out in the real world. I'm sure you'll find many more. You know, it's not us just making things up. Like most of the times, this is the outcome you're creating 
again, you think you're you're fixing the problem, but you're actually making the problem much worse. Yeah. Um, so as we start to wrap up, I, I have two things I want us to, to talk about. The first being, you know, what are some things that you think organizations can do to foster open conversation, foster feedback, you know, as difficult as it may, may be, and kind of try to break down some of these, the, these feelings employees have that like, I can't say, I don't know, I'm risking my job, I'm risking a promotion. Um, but also, no, actually, no, I'm, I'm just gonna stay there. Like, you know, um, you know, what are some things organizations can do? I mean, overall, they need to just address the culture of why they have a culture of mistrust. Um, and that's not going to be an easy overnight seminar to figure that out. That's going to take a tremendous amount of work, self-reflection to figure out why they have created a, a culture where there is simply no trust within the organization. Um, but as far as more kind of tactical, actionable things that that companies can do, I think, one, it's leading by example. If, if as a manager, as if the VP, if, if, if as the CEO... I'm unwilling to admit my weaknesses, my gaps, the things that I struggle with. Why would I ever expect my managers and their employees to do so? So I think from the top down, in order to change that culture and build trust, you have to give examples of, of how you expect the rest of the organization to act. And then from a real tangible perspective around compensation, advancement in career, taking on more responsibility, there needs to be a fundamental shift in which we stop rewarding those things that we don't want to reward. So if if we want employees to be vulnerable and admit mistakes and ask for help in where they want to develop stronger expertise, if they're already an expert asking for help to become elite, the only way we can do that is if we reward that and stop rewarding the appearance of being perfect, which we're, we're doing now, right? Like I'm sure everyone listening to this episode knows of at least three or four colleagues over their career that got promoted or got raises, not based on what they were actually doing or the value they were creating for the company, but of this image they created of, well, I'm the perfect employee that has it all figured out and I don't need any help. We have to stop rewarding that behavior. We have to start rewarding the behavior that that we want until we do those two things, giving a top level example of how to act and rewarding the behavior that we want. I don't know that we're going to make any fundamental changes in building uh, organizations that are based on trust. So last thing, as, as we, as we wrap up, as, as we've started to do recently, um, tying this back to digital analytics specifically, how does this all fit in with the concept of sustainable analytics? So going back to my example of having someone in a position to make really critical choices around the architecture for how we collect data. Um, if we don't have an organization built on trust, if we don't have employees that are willing to admit what they know, what they don't know and where they need help, the outcome is already determined for us. We will not build something sustainable because we simply don't have the tools or the knowledge to do so. And we don't have the trust to be able to ask for help. You know, we may want to build something sustainably, but we don't know how to do that. 
And unless we're willing to go to my, you know, your boss or their, their boss and say, Hey, you know, we kind of have the nuts and bolts of how this works figured out, but it's clear from our past performance, we're constantly in re-implementation mode. We have mountains of tech debt. We need someone to come in and help us think more sustainably about our practice unless they're willing to have that conversation. It's not going to happen and they're never going to get to a state of sustainability, which the outcome for that is known. The business will be getting very little value out of the data and the employees will find themselves in a very uncomfortable position. So they will quit and go work somewhere else and repeat the cycle. Someone has to end the cycle. Yeah. Totally. And we lost you. I guess, you know, let, let's go ahead and, and wrap up there, um, you know, for this week and, uh, we'll catch everybody later. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.